0: You heard it here first. Alan said open source software is unreliable.
1: (laughs) User error 56. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back, and it's a whole new year. It's 2019, even though the doc says 2018, because I didn't uh, change that bit of it. But never mind. We've got tons to get into. Quite a lot of it is actually from the forum, community.error.show. So do go there and sign up. And thank you to everyone who has done and has uh, put their Ask Error questions in and everything. So let's start with a hashtag ask error, and that is, what Linux-related opinion makes you completely disregard anything that person says? And it does have to be specifically a Linux-related opinion, not a political one or anything like that. And I
2: just could not think of anything, could you two? I'd just like to interject for a moment. What you're referring to as Linux is in fact GNU slash Linux, or as I've (laughs) recently taken to calling it, yeah, that. Anyone who says that, or anything, that tells me to pronounce it differently or say it differently. I disregard pretty much everything from that point onwards.
0: I definitely got two of them. One is um, the people who don't know that uh, the Free Software Foundation or whatever actually encourages the sale of GPL software. So that one's like, a, eh, okay, you know, you're really getting into like trying to enforce the GPL but you don't actually know what's in it or what the, the thoughts around it are. And then the other one is um people who feel like like packaging formats are like gonna solve everything like as soon as <laughs> as soon as we switch to a o package then all the drivers will work
2: Well, there's a snap for that, yeah I also dislike when people uh call it micro shaft or use m s <laughs> with a dollar sign oh, yeah. like, ms dollar
1: sign wind blows yes
2: those i i'm the problem with this whole topic is. It's very difficult because you can't just like completely disregard and then like, you know, slash mute or slash ignore or, you know, block that person on Twitter or whoever it is just because they've made the uh, cardinal sin of saying one of these things. But you kind of want to sometimes because they're not useful people a lot of the time. Like what what possible use are they doing by saying that or what possible advancement in the linux ecosystem are they doing by telling me to say gnu linux maybe 2019 will be the year i start blocking more people it's
0: because you're <laughs> wrong alan and being right is more important than anything
2: apparently so okay on the subject of being right i've got a, i've got a third one <laughs> I, I had a good think about this uh Anyone who uses DistroWatch as a measure of user base, I've mentioned oh, okay. this before, but if <laughs> if someone says Manjaro is at the top of DistroWatch, therefore it has more users than other distros, is just full of crap and an idiot, and I don't want to talk to them.
1: Well, maybe you can convince Will or some of your other colleagues to release some fucking numbers, and then you'd be able to <laughs> shut them up. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay we had a couple of questions come in about Android and we might get into the specifics of those but it did get me thinking about iOS versus Android generally and I've been playing with an iPad that I borrowed admittedly an old one so it's not a really fair reflection although it is the latest version of iOS and I know that you Poppy have got a fair bit of experience with both and Dan you've got very little experience with Android and quite a bit of experience with iOS. So I thought we'd just kind of chew on this for a while. I think the first question, Dan, why don't you have much experience with Android? What
0: is it about it that you hate? I've just never gotten past playing with it for a couple seconds. It always gets frustrating. Um, I hear that new versions of Android are way better than it used to be. But it was just like, super painful every time I've touched one. Uh, and I think that some of that has to do with, like, mobile handset makers adding their own crap on top of Android, so it's not actually stock Android. Yeah. I've heard that stock Android is really good, but, like, Samsung Android
1: is crap. Right. And presumably you don't spend that much time on your phone anyway because you're stuck in front of your laptop most of the time.
0: Um, I definitely feel like I use my phone for like meaningful work a lot less. Um, but I do end up using it a ton for any kind of like messaging or social media, Um, even like for work stuff like uh, Reddit and Twitter and, and managing those kind of accounts and things. It seems like the experience is generally a bit better on mobile um, for those platforms making their apps. And it seems like sometimes the websites are kind of neglected or doesn't seem to work as well. All right, you
1: need to get them to put some apps in App Center, maybe.
0: Yeah, working on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, probably you generally use Android, don't you? But you have
2: used iOS a bit in the past. Uh, yeah, I, I have a couple of iOS devices. I've got a Mac and a uh, an iPad and uh, an iPhone. But I pri- my primary device is, a, is an Android uh, OnePlus, running the version of Android that OnePlus provide. Which is fairly close to stock, isn't it? Yeah, there's not a lot different. There's a few additional things like gestures and stuff. And uh, it's funny, I've been playing with iOS a little bit and then come back to Android. And there are th- I, When I'm on iOS, I get frustrated because there's no back button. And then when I'm yeah. on Android, I'm frustrated because the back button isn't remotely intuitive and doesn't do what you expect it to do at all for a fair chunk of the things that I try and do. So I I get equally frustrated with both of them.
1: It's funny that you say the back button. That is the biggest gripe I have with iOS. Well, that it doesn't have one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That the back button sort of comes up randomly when they think you need it rather than having on my OnePlus 3T effectively a hardware back button. It's a soft touch, whatever, capacitive button, but it is a button that is always there available to me. And I often find in iOS that I just wish I could go back and then I can't. I think that one of the bigger problems that i have is that there's not enough ram in this um it's an ipad air the first one so it's pretty old it's it's not so old that it's been abandoned you can run the latest ios
2: whatever that is the frustration i have with the back button is that it, it's it just doesn't do what i expect so i'm i'm on reddit and i click a link that goes to twitter and the twitter client opens and i'm looking at someone's tweet and then i press back thinking i'm going to go back to reddit and no i go back to The timeline, the Twitter timeline.
1: Yeah, but then press back one more time and back
2: to Reddit. No, it doesn't work like that. So I can be in Twitter and I can press back five times in a row. Because I've launched Twitter so many times by clicking on links from other places, I can end up pressing back in Twitter like five times before it actually gets me back to the home timeline. I'm looking at a timeline, but there's some internal state in the app that is five levels down and i have to go back 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 before i get out of the application it's so infuriating and when i press back i end up out of the application not back where i was in reddit and and that and it's not just the twitter app that does that there's a few where back just doesn't do what you think it should do um so neither of them are perfect in terms of usability uh, by a long shot oh yeah definitely but we can't avoid this any longer
1: A lot of people in the Linux community say, iOS, oh, no, that's proprietary. Oh, you can't use that. But then, you know, Android, okay, it is based on this AOSP, you know, Android Open Source Project base. And if you use Lineage or a similar custom ROM with no Google apps, then it is significantly more open source than iOS. But then it comes down to who do you trust more, Google or Apple? Or or who do you trust less, I suppose, (laughs) Google or Apple? And I trust Google less than I trust Apple. Even though they are a horrible proprietary company who wants to lock you into their walled garden and everything, at least their business model is very, very straightforward. Sell things for loads of money rather than give you loads of cool free stuff and harvest your data.
2: I'm not sure about the whole... um people saying that you, the, your initial assertion that people who use Linux are then uh, mistakenly saying Apple is you know, a proprietary company, and um, but they, they still use iOS. I think people have different reasons for using different platforms. And some people use iOS because they prefer it, or they prefer the devices, or they have other family members that they want to have family accounts with and they want to share stuff with them. You know, they're they're whether you want to call it locked in, they're in that ecosystem and they want to, you know, partake of the benefits of multiple people being in that in that ecosystem. Um I I'm not convinced that a significant number of people in the Linux community care about software freedom. I think it's more about they're using what they prefer on the desktop and they prefer Linux and on a phone, they're using what they prefer and they prefer iOS.
1: Well, Dan, you must get a lot of shit for A, your OS looking a little bit like macOS and also whenever you mention that you use an iPhone.
0: I think um, there's definitely a, like a higher correlation of Android users in like Linux user spaces from my anecdotal experience. And and yeah, yeah people are like, ah, oh, why are you using that lockdown proprietary thing even though like all the parts of android that people actually use are like closed source right so i don't know um there is some kind of weird culture thing about it
2: but then there's there's been the history of um ios where you couldn't even register a device unless you plugged it into a uh, machine that running itunes and that was a you know, big red line for anyone running Linux, because they just didn't have an Apple Mac, and they certainly didn't have anything that was capable of running iTunes and Wine has never been able to run it very well. So, I think there's a history of Linux people eschewing iDevices devices. Because it's hard to make them work if you're not part of the Apple ecosystem. I don't know more recently you can just like turn it on and register it and not have to plug it into a computer ever.
0: Yeah, I guess that's an interesting point. Um I, I definitely feel like a lot of Android's users expect to plug their phone into their computer for some reason and like do things with the computer in the phone. And that to me as an iOS user is weird. And I don't I don't know why you would ever like expect to do that. Like Um, you know, I just, I have Apple music and my music just is there and I don't ever like plug it into the phone to manually move MP3 files over onto my phone. Like that whole concept to me is like, this is now 2019. Why would you do that?
1: Because of control. Because if you're somewhere where you don't have signal or you haven't cached the music that you want to listen to there are phones that run android that you can stick a 128 gigabyte sd card in and have it full of flax that are perfect quality and you can listen to them down a coal mine or whatever
0: yeah but who has time for that i don't know i just think that's like a that's like a I, i don't think regular people have time to do all that or care about i mean maybe you know the people that are into that kind of thing that's why that there's more linux users who want to build their own thing from the bottom up or whatever and that's their hobby but for me my phone is like a thing that i use it's not my hobby
2: i think it's interesting that you joe you raised the suggestion that people would be more accepting of one company over the other um you know in terms of data privacy and um you know, not trusting one company or another but It turns out there are actually other options. So someone who's a super privacy nerd and doesn't want corporations or governments having access to the data that they don't want them to, they could just use something else. They don't have to use iOS. They don't have to use Android. It's seen that there's only two options, but I have friends who don't use either of them. They use either the feature phones like the rubbish little uh, Mars bar sized Nokias from the past or something like. KaiOS, that fork of Firefox OS, there are, there are other options. If you're that intent and you're the kind of person who might think about replacing the operating system on your desktop and might think about replacing the operating system on your phone, you're also the kind of person who might use a slightly out there operating system on your phone.
1: Well, yeah, that's why I run Lineage on mine, even though you have got the same phone as me and you've tried out Lineage on it and you say that the stock... ROM is faster. I've never run the stock ROM, so I don't know. I can only assume that you're correct. But I don't really care. I want the customization that Lineage gives me and the security updates and everything. But one of the questions that uh, was asked was, um, why don't the Lineage OS users of the show use uh, MicroG, which is an open source re-implementation of the, the Google Apps API stuff, basically, which means that you can use certain applications that need that. But for my money, either just go completely Google-less or embrace it. I flash uh, the Google Apps uh, Pico, G Apps Pico, that's what it's called, which gives you just the Play Store and the various APIs that you need. And then I just install the various apps that I need. And why don't I do like what my friend Falim does, which is just have F-Droid and no Google Apps. Well, I need certain things for Okay, not need, but I like to have certain Google apps like Drive and Docs um, for work. And so I, I just couldn't do that, not without seriously inconveniencing myself, because although there are web app versions of those that do work in Firefox, they're just not as good as the native apps. So that's really why I don't use MicroG, because it just seems like it's a bit of an ugly hack still. When I'm going to be using Google stuff anyway, I may as well just, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. But I would certainly recommend to someone who wanted a, a very usable phone that was as open source as possible to just go the lineage route and not
2: flash the Google apps and just go for F-Droid. Right. And that's a, a viable option if you're not, you know, paid up member of the Google community. And But I am. So I, I have a, a G Suite account for managing my domain, and I use YouTube, and I use all these other applications. And sure, I could use many of them just in a browser, but that's a crappy experience. So I would rather use the apps. So I think my rationale for not using MicroG is because I actually want the apps to work, and I want the genuine uh, API calls to be done that make sure they do work. I', I For my phone, I don't want to have some wacky Heath Robinson affair that may or may not work because I actually use my phone all the time.
1: Right, so this was a question that you had, Alan, I think. And it's pretty simple. How do we turn more users into contributors? And should we even try? I'm a user who doesn't contribute much. Uh, no, don't bother trying. You're not getting anything out of me.
2: <laughs> Actually, my, my personal feeling is no. Uh, so in the second half of the question, should we even try turning users into contributors? Uh, part of me thinks no, because users just want to use the system. I think there's a, there's a certain class of user who is an enthusiast, a tinkerer, so the kind of person who goes along to clubs and is the person that other people call when their system goes wrong, that kind of person may be advanced users. It's, these are all really nebulous terms like advanced or power user. They're not really specified, but those kinds of people, I think are the kinds of people we might want to get in our community, but normal end users who just want to start the machine up open up firefox and do some browsing do some work create some documents no i don't necessarily think they should be trying like hoodwink them into doing translations and writing documentation for us not every user has to be a contributor i don't think but i think we need to do better at turning the experts and the enthusiasts and the super users and the power users I think we need to do better at turning those people into community contributors.
1: But doesn't simply using and enjoying and telling people about your experience count as
2: contributing to some extent? No. Yeah, sure. Advocacy is a certain part of it, but but advocacy doesn't write code and advocacy doesn't do translations and manage the release process and uh, verify that bugs still exist and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Advocacy is, is, is certainly a valuable thing, but we don't want you know 100% or 99% advocates and 1% developers the the ratio needs to be a little the other way
0: yeah i think uh honestly the best answer to how do we turn more users into contributors is charge them money <laughs>
1: That's your answer to everything, isn't it? Of course it? it is. Of course that's <laughs> okay. your
0: answer, Daniel. <laughs> well, <laughs> because like you said, not everybody uh is, is technically knowledgeable or wants to spend the time or cares to do, you know, but everybody has a dollar in their pocket. Um and, and that's five pounds, thank you very well, much. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. You <laughs> your your fake made-up money or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point though, yeah,
1: that um that is literally contributing financially, and then that allows you to hire devs and make stuff happen
0: right yeah because um like alan said you know advocacy is uh what most people are capable of and it's okay but it doesn't write code and if we can get uh more funding then we can hire experts or we can do things like fund our bounty program um that can turn uh volunteers or um people that um are part-time potential contributors into someone that like does something on the weekend and gets a little bit of something back for it. it it's some kind of uh, value exchange that we can do with with people that uh, normally wouldn't get involved but can now.
1: But there really are two types of users out there, aren't there? There's people. I mean, it almost goes back to the iOS versus Android thing. On iOS, you are basically buying most of your applications, most of the good ones, anyway. And okay, it's not for very much, but you certainly have that culture, whereas on Android, everything's ad-supported generally, um, with obvious exceptions. But I think you have that split in the Linux world as well, the desktop Linux world. Some people just expect it all to be free as in beer, and the vast majority of software is. So I, I think changing that culture, a lot of people get into it because it's free, rather than having to pay for Windows which I suppose increasingly happens less, but you add that free upgrade to Windows 10 from 7, and I suppose Windows comes with most machines. That's how most people get it. But it, there, there are certainly a
2: lot of people in the Linux community who just don't have a culture of wanting to spend any money. I don't know. I, I'm i not so sure. You said the vast majority of software is free. That's that's not really the case. As I'm looking at my desktop... um some of the primary apps I use on a daily basis there has been a financial transaction involved I use IRC cloud for connecting to IRC and that's pivotal to doing my job and I paid a subscription for that Um, I have steam open and I have put a lot of money into steam uh, not part of my job but as you know as something I use my computer for I buy games and I pay money to the people who make those games I have a note-taking application which I've paid a five-year license for um, which is um, I only did because I really really like the software and I wanted to support the developer and other bits and bobs that I've got on here that are, that are paid software or have some subscription like Spotify I've got a subscription for that so I'm not I'm not convinced that everything on the desktop is free yeah okay stuff in the archive is free and um, there's a there's a fair amount of free software out there on github and in in various repositories but what normal people actually use i think a fair number of them do actually spend money um, on services that are valuable to them and for different people that'll be different things it might not be a significant amount of money on a very massive application like you know photoshop and autocad and like the big boys like that I don't think people are afraid of spending money. I think there's a subset of it in its community who, yeah, sure, want everything for free, and there are people where culturally it's difficult to pay for stuff. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't buy the fact that people aren't willing to spend money. I think they are, and clearly you don't buy that, Dan. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made App Center.
0: No, definitely. I mean. Um... But there is still some, like, cultural pushback, I think, uh, from a certain subset of, uh, Linux users, but, um, I mean, for the most part, I think that going with the pay what you want system kind of satisfies that problem of we don't want to lock out people who can't afford um, to pay for things. But there's a significant amount of people enough that do want to pay for the things that they're using, that it has allowed us to hire several full time employees and that uh, we have developers in App Center that are publishing applications and making money doing that and maybe it's not a significant amount of money yet but i think that um we're trying to kind of shift that over and and show people the value of um their monetary contributions and how paying for things directly benefits them
2: i think there's certainly some people who believe that they should get everything for free and you know all these things should come to me and I shouldn't have to lift a finger, but just, you know, click on a button and it all comes for free, including all future software updates. And that that I find that, that mentality frustrating. It seems um, very misguided to think that you doing a one-time cost of £5 five years ago, or even a one-time cost of £300 for a device, like two years ago that you should expect lifetime of updates that some developer is going to be chained to a desk providing updates for you because you once bought them a coffee three years ago i think that's ludicrous and i i i I agree with dan that people should be willing to fork over for upgrades and new versions of stuff and and maintenance of the thing that they're using that they rely on on a daily basis well
1: i agree that people should but i don't agree that most people do i i think that even people outside of the linux world expect a lot of things for free because of the culture of the internet you know google is a prime example of that you can use all of the same stuff as you can with g suite for free if you don't use your own domain and there are obviously limitations on it and everything but you can use google drive you can use gmail you can use maps you can use all of that and Spotify, you can use that for free if you want. You have to listen to some adverts, but you can still do it. Same with YouTube and and everything else on the internet and on the web. And I think that there are just two types of people. I don't know what that ratio is, and I'd be very interested to know what the ratio of people listening to this is. So do uh, let us know on the forum, community.era.show, or tweet us or whatever. So I, I just... I I have this feeling that in the Linux world there are more people who lie on the side of the fence where they don't expect to pay for things. But maybe I'm wrong about that. And I think that almost the more technical you are, the more, or the closer to the source of these projects you are, the more you realize how much goes into it. And therefore, you're more willing to put money into other people's projects.
0: Yeah, I I agree that It's more people don't want to pay. In my experience, it's like 1% or less of people um, will pay if they have the option not to, if they can get around it some way. Um, So I I agree with you that that most people don't want to pay anything. And um, I I think that even a lot of people don't see any kind of problem with the um, air quotes free products that they're using I, I think that's um, hopefully something that will start to change maybe uh, as people become more concerned about their their privacy. But it, it is uh, kind of an uphill battle right now.
1: I think the irony is that it will change in the Linux world as we get more proprietary software. When you and your lot Poppy, sort out being able to pay for snaps and you get more and more proprietary paid-for apps on there,
2: I think that is going to slowly change the culture. I'm not convinced that is actually. I, I honestly don't think it is because people now are selling subscription services to software. They're not selling software like I the the software that I mentioned on my desktop that I pay for now. Spotify is subscription. IRC Cloud is subscription. The note taking app I have is subscription. Very few of the applications, other than games, like games is a kind of separate segment but very few of the applications on my desktop are something I have paid for once. The vast majority have some kind of uh, recurring payment, which is better for the developer because it's a ongoing payment, gives them some, um, uh, possibility to continue financing updates and upgrades and security updates and all that kind of stuff. Whereas a one-off payment three years ago isn't, isn't going to help that guy. Um, and I don't think us doing paid snaps if they were just one-time payment snaps like you would buy a game in in iOS or like you would buy a, a game in in Steam, I'm not convinced that would that would drive it because most people aren't making one-time payment applications on the desktop.
1: That is a very good point, actually. Yes, most things are services, yeah, as you say, whereas that's not something that you've really baked in to elementary OS, is it, Dan? So do
0: you think you've gone wrong there? I definitely think that um, subscriptions are something that that we want to do. Uh, uh, Cassie and I have talked a lot about um, maybe even doing some kind of um, like Patreon competitor almost or some way to make those payments more relatable and encourage subscription payments over one time payments. It definitely seems like if you rely on one-time payments, the expectation is infinite growth, right? That's the only way that's sustainable is if you continue to grow, you know, month over month at the same pace forever.
1: Yeah. But then you're getting into the micropayments thing, and we had that with Flatter, which I think is still going, but just I had a bit of a bad experience there trying to get money out of it, and so I just gave up on it, but you've also got cryptocurrencies as well, which the R the seems to have fallen out of the market over the last year or so, although it's, uh, Bitcoin seems to be rallying a bit, but whenever I say that, it tanks again, so I probably shouldn't. But, you know, there are ways that people have tried to get micropayments working, and it just sort of doesn't seem to have really taken off. But I suppose maybe that's thinking too small, <laughs> the clues in the name with the micropayments. Maybe people should be making macro payments of $1 or $2 rather than a
2: few cents. Maybe we need to have uh, a, a collaboration between uh, all of the desktop Linux stores. So the people who work on Gnome Software and Your App Center and the Snap Store and KDE Discover and the Linux Mint thing. And, you know, all these different things get together and come up with some way in which users can throw... A pile of money in and then allocate where that money goes and if if it if it was done collaboratively across a lot of desktop environments i think it might have more success than than just happening in elementary if it got adopted in many places
0: i feel like from a purely software perspective like that sounds ideal but when you get to like legal and like how payment processors and services actually are, like there's no way it would happen. You'd you'd have to maybe establish some kind of independent foundation just to process payments. And then where um, does that work as far as how to how do you split the money there? And, oh, what payments does it support? And I think it would be like overly complicated not get anywhere. Like every discussion that I've heard about GNOME software supporting payments ends in like two seconds because nobody can even agree on basics as far as like how do we process a payment. And we've been able to go cut through all that stuff because we just said, well, we're using Stripe and we support what Stripe supports and that's kind of it. Um, but I think right. like, as soon as you start involving all these complications like trying to split things up and having users move sliders around and things like that, like nobody even wants to do that. Like we, We're trying to get to a point where it's one-click, mindless payments and the more steps that we have in between, the less likely people are going to walk through them. Mm, fair enough. Right, so this has been a thought
1: that's been rattling around in my head for the last few weeks, and that is about good versus bad or evil, depending on what you want to call it. And I suppose the first question is, do such concepts really exist in the world? Are there really good forces and bad forces, good and bad people? And if so, is there more good or more bad in the world? Now, I'll let you take a guess what I think, what my answer is to this question. But Dan, what do you think? Is there more good or bad in the world?
0: You know, maybe it's just being naive, but um, I, I tend to think that everyone is kind of the hero in their own story, right? And I don't think that anybody sets out with the intention of doing evil for the most part. Everybody thinks they're justified and they have their reasons. And even when they do bad things that they think that they're doing it in the interest of pursuing some greater good, it's a worthy sacrifice from their perspective. So um I, I don't know if um, you can say that very many things are pure evil. There are some things that are purely evil. Sure. But I think that for the most um, interactions that that most individuals go through throughout their lives that I'd say the majority of people think that they're doing good.
2: I'm inclined to agree with Dan. I, d- I don't think there's necessarily, like, it's difficult because good and evil has some religious connotations and people see evil as something that needs to be driven out and it's invoked by some spirit or third party when, in fact, it could just be that person has been ill treated as a child or that person is mentally unwell or unstable or isn't getting the right support in their life uh, and what they're doing is something that you would characterize as bad or evil right so murderers of children who are also children you often hear them labeled as evil kids um you know there've been cases in the past where you know kids have killed kids and the the killers are seen as evil and they had the devil in them or something or you know when you look into it it actually turns out they were abused when they were kids or they just were misunderstood or i know that's a common phrase used but i i I don't i don't think it's as easy i think it's it's too easy to say that person is evil
0: yeah even like the people who are pushing like horrific tragedies and genocides and things that we look back on and go, how could anyone do that? Like At the time, they thought they were making the world a better place, right? From their perspective, they thought they were doing the right thing. Uh, I don't think it's as easy to just say that um, it's good and evil. Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing when they're doing it.
1: Well, yeah, and that kind of comes around to my opinion on this, which is, that basically most people are good. So I kind of agree with you, Dan. Yours is a bit more nuanced that you say that they at least think they're good. So I would kind of agree with that. But I think that the bad people in the world, and I, I do think there are some genuinely just bad people, they tend to gravitate towards positions of power and wealth. And maybe there's more of a correlation there. Maybe it's you get rich and then you start not giving a shit about people. And slowly turn to be bad. But I think that those powerful people, because they're in that position, be it financially or politically or whatever, they inflict that badness upon people in a a much more meaningful way. And so ultimately, although there's probably less bad, that bad is worse than all of the good. You know, all of the people who pick up that coin you dropped in the supermarket and so that you don't have to bend down. Those little good things that people do are just dwarfed by the terrible things that
2: industrialists and politicians do to the rest of the population. Right. Nobody's going to print a newspaper story that a small child pulled legs off a spider or used magnifying glass to kill ants because the impact of that is on a couple of spiders and some ants, right? But if that person then grew up to be, you know, leader of country X and... um inflicted his regime, I'm not saying you would hold a magnifying glass over the population or pull their legs off, but you know, it could be. Um, Then obviously that has an impact that people are going to report in the papers and people are going to say is, is probably evil. So yeah, there is a, an element of scale in terms of proportion of how much evil versus good there is in the world. I think we suffer from the fact that people only report bad things. Like when we watch the news in the UK, um, if I watch the 10 o'clock news, after the 10 o'clock news is the local news. It cuts to your your local area. And because I've got cable TV, I can pick from any area. And if the default for me is London, and London news is always about stabbings and murders and rapes and horrible stuff like that, almost always. There'll be some transport-related guff or something, but there'll be a murder in there somewhere. Whereas my wife says, can we turn it over to Donkey Sanctuary News, which like, is the the transmitter in Southampton which is further away from London and the news is all about you know some local charity did a thing and like there's a donkey sanctuary and it's nicer news and and I think we have this this uh, propensity to focus on the evil but actually there's not as much of that as there is good like our prisons have a limited number of people in them like there's 60 plus million people in the UK They're not all in prisons. There's a very small number of people in prison, and there's a very small number of people going through the court system, and a small number of people with tags on. I think inherently the rest of the people are generally good. Like, they're the kind of people... Like, most people follow rules when they're driving down the road. They don't go clattering down the road, bashing into every other car on the road, because that would just be a bad thing to do. Some people do do that, but they're in the minority. But I think we we amplify it when it's in the news
0: i guess if you think in terms of like how much potential bad people could inflict if they really wanted to the world could be a much much worse place very easily just from the example of like cars right right if people had access
2: to like we don't have access to to uh, firearms in the uk Um, or not easy access to firearms in the UK. And I'm not trying to draw a comparison between the UK and the US, but just in the UK, there aren't as many firearms as there are in other countries. And so you might consider that if there were more firearms, there would probably be more dead people in this country. Um, So not having ready access to firearms, nuclear weapons, tanks, you know, machine guns or whatever. Or is it just people are inherently good? Do you have to have access to a to a, a tool of mass destruction to make you think, ah, do you know what? I'm going to press the button. You know, I'm having a bad day. Screw it. Maybe. But almost circling back to
1: the iOS versus Android thing again is what about the fact that we're all sitting here using our electronics in the West and our iPhones and Android phones and everything, and there's people probably less so now but literally jumping off roofs of factories because they're so depressed in the country where they make them and also the fact that in order to sustain our lifestyle other people are suffering in the world and so even though we think that we're doing good even sitting here doing this podcast right now is burning resources electricity and all of the rest of it and it's time that we could be out helping poor people or whatever so in a sense we are sort of in it's almost like original sin in a way it's like our, the, the new original sin is just being happy to go about your life in a western country in the knowledge or you know just sh- putting the knowledge to the back of your head that there are people really suffering in the world
2: as a result of that right Yeah. Life is short and you got to pick your battles. Like you could decide not to buy anything from Nestle because you don't like the business practices. You could uh, unwrap all the shopping at the supermarket and leave the plastic there for them to deal with. So you're not dealing with it. You could become a vegan. You could not sell your car and walk everywhere. You know, there there are so many things you could do, whether it's environmental or caring for animals or whatever it might be. There's there's only so much you can do and there's so much outrage about so many things and do you spend your entire life being perpetually outraged and doing all of these things or do you get on with your life and try your best in other areas
0: i guess that goes to like one of the core questions that gets asked about like how to be effectively altruistic is do you consume less or produce more right like a you you have to consume in order to produce right is that is it worth it is it is it better um to to consume more so that you can produce more good or is it better to consume less so that you produce less evil
2: right and and what's the legacy you leave behind is it you know the fact that you bought a Range Rover and burned way more fuel than anyone else. Well done. But you had a happy life and everyone in your family was super happy because you were driving around in air-conditioned comfort. Or you were riding everywhere on a bike, so you weren't consuming all that fuel. You weren't using up the Earth's resources. And when you're both dead, you're both dead. But one of you has a larger footprint in some ways, maybe a, a better uh, carbon footprint, and the other one may have a, a better... um outcome in some other measurable way maybe the work they did for charity or the number of people they employ it's i I don't think it you know you go back to that thing we i think we've talked about previously with like china having a karma system you know if you try and measure it all you'll you'll just drive yourself mad you can do as best as you can i think
1: yeah not to mention if you ride around on a bike how many motorists are
2: you going to piss off at least if you have a camera You can make a bit of revenue posting the videos of the drivers getting angry with you on YouTube. (laughs)